From the APR Creation Studio, this is the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. As always, this podcast brought to you by APR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing to you for an affordable price. Remember, they built showthesafeties.com for me, and if you haven't signed the petition for viewing angles that allow us to see the passing game on television, please do so. This podcast also brought to you by my forthcoming book. If you have any interest in Judaism, the Bible, or the roots of Christianity, support me in the podcast by buying my book, and then buy an extra one for your pastor, priest, rabbi, shaman, or that one crazy uncle who's now recovering from QAnon stuff not having come to pass. Links in the show notes. And now we'll get to the show. So, um, a lot to cover. I'm going to wait a little bit longer to uh, cover the last couple recruits when uh, early signing day or when uh, late signing day is over. And uh, I'm just going to cover a couple things here. We're going to talk about the schedule and also about some of the momentum that is building up in the Florida State recruiting class for 2022, which so far looks like what you would hope from a first year staff. So, you think about last year being year zero because of the pandemic and everything else. This this class is shaping up to be really year one. And this is what you would hope. a uh, It's starting to shape up to, to have the kind of momentum that a first year staff would have. We'll talk about that in the second, uh, in the second segment, though. For this first segment, we're going to talk about the schedule. And honestly, when I looked at the schedule, a few things went through my head. First of all, it's, man, the schedule in terms of the teams on the schedule, it's brutal. Just, this is not a schedule that you want if you are Mike Norvell and company and you're trying to show clear improvement on the field. That said, when I looked at how the schedule actually broke down in terms of how everything works in order, I went, huh, you know? The ACC didn't really uh, didn't really hurt Florida State at all with this schedule. I mean, this is not this is not so bad when it comes to you know having to play a schedule that's this difficult. Certain things really broke Florida State's way in terms of making giving them a fighting chance to to show some show some uh, some progress as things go. So that, that those are my first thoughts. And the reason I'm thinking that is you can really divide this this season straight in half. And, and actually, that's a luxury for, for coaching staff in a lot of ways because of where the bye week is. The bye is right in the middle of the schedule, October 16th. And if you look at the first half and the second half of the schedule, the first half has some winnable games on it. And if you think about Norvell and company trying to get this team ready to play, you want to have as many winnable games up front as possible. I mean, that's got to be the emphasis. You want to make sure that this team can get some momentum, can get the taste of victory, can get used to actually doing some things right. That's what you really want to see happen. And you look at the schedule and you go, well, you know, you open with Notre Dame and Notre Dame's really good. But Notre Dame's losing a lot of talent. Losing Ian Book at quarterback. You're going to have a, a new quarterback there, and Book really made them a lot better the last couple of years. I mean, all you have to do is look at the NFL right now, and you can see how much top-level quarterback play just changes everything. You can't win without a top-level quarterback at this point. I mean, look at the four guys that were in the championship, uh, championship weekend for the NFL. 
And you go, okay, well, you got Aaron Rodgers, pretty good player, right? You got Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, he, if Aaron Rodgers is not the best thrower in NFL history, then Patrick Mahomes is one of the three or four guys, maybe two guys that you might choose over him in terms of being able to make, you know, whatever ridiculous throw you need under pressure to win a game. So you got those two guys. And then you got Amanda Bynes, or that is Josh Allen in Buffalo, who really came into his own and was a really good quarterback this year, one of the best in the league. And suddenly Buffalo took that step forward. And then you got a guy named Tom Brady, who I've heard is pretty good. Well, there's your four. And then you step back to the divisional round and you go, huh, man, there's not a bad quarterback among this group. You got Baker Mayfield. You got, I mean, every guy could play. Drew Brees, even though he was a shell of himself. So you start looking at this and you go, you can, that's the NFL. And there's more parity, more, more talent across the board there than anywhere. If you're going to be good in today's football, the way that, that the game is called, the way that the game is played now, you just have to be really good at that position. And Ian Book, last couple of years, has been really good. So it's an open question, and I think there's a lot of doubt, a lot of reason for doubt that Notre Dame's going to be able to replace Book with someone who's going to play at that level. So that's number one. Number two is Notre Dame is losing four of their five starters on their offensive line from 2021. And we talked about that on this podcast going into the, into the Florida State Notre Dame game this last year, that that offensive line was one of the two or three best in the country especially before center Jarrett Patterson went down with foot injury. And, you know, you got basically them, Alabama, uh, North Carolina had one of the best in the country. But really, probably Notre Dame and Alabama were, were kind of in a league of their own in terms of offensive lines. Texas A&M also had a really good one. But they were kind of in a league of their own in terms of offensive lines. And now they go from senior left guard, fifth-year senior right guard, and senior and two senior tackles on that offensive line, um, along with a junior center who's going to be coming back after missing the end of the year with the, with that foot injury. So they're going to have four new starters on the offensive line. Now, yes, they do have some talent that's waiting in the wings to take over. I mean, they have done almost an Alabama level job of recruiting and development on the offensive line up there. That's they've done a phenomenal job. I mean, they've got five former two, top 200 recruits on the offensive line ready to step in. I mean, that <laughs> they've recruited awfully well. So that's pretty good. But at the same point, those guys have not played together. And this is going to be their first game together day one. So you're breaking in a completely new offensive line that has not played together. No chemistry, no time to develop and gel together. That's a big deal. So now you've got, you've got those two things combined. And generally speaking, if you've got some potential weaknesses on the offensive line, a quality quarterback, especially a quality veteran quarterback, can make up for that. If you've got a, a, a new starter at, at quarterback who's a little bit weaker, a really good offensive line can help compensate for that. If you're weak in both spots, well, see Florida State the last few years. 
So that that could change a lot of things in terms of the winability of that game. Now, Notre Dame's still going to be pretty good defensively, although I think they lose their I think they lose eight starters from that defense, but they've still got good personnel up there. They're still going to be pretty good defensively. They've, they've done a great job of maintaining their system and developing guys within that that system and maintaining continuity up there. But again, it's not going to be as good as it was this year. They're going to take a step back. And if you're going to get them, given that they do have talent, but it's young talent, it's guys that have not started, and a, a new quarterback, a new offensive line, not a bunch of talent on the outside, wide receiver. If there's a time you want to catch that team, it's game one. And that's when Florida State catches him. So, you know, if that was late in the year, I'd probably favor Notre Dame a ton. But this is a winnable game for Florida State, a sneaky winnable game. If you can, no, yes, Florida State's going to have their own, you know, new quarterback, most likely their own, you know, working through trying to get really a year one thing with a, with a new coach. But it, this is a sneaky possible win for Florida State. You're still likely to lose that game, but it's not a game that you go in like you're just going to get absolutely hammered in game one. No doubt, you know, no doubt, just put down the loss. So that makes that an interesting game. At least a chance to win that game. And then you follow that up with Jacksonville State. Should be able to win that game. Then away at Wake Forest, which Wake's a good football team. That is not a, that is not a guaranteed win. They're well coached. They've got some experience. They've got some quality at the quarterback position. And they're frustrating to defend anyway. So that's a team you, you can lose to. But... It's also a team that's not going to overwhelm you with talent. That's a winnable game. And if you're if if you're starting to get guys figuring out what you want what you want them to do on both sides of the ball, you've got a lot more talent than them potentially. So, winnable game. Then you get Louisville at home. That's another winnable game. Even though, you know, they beat you at their place this year, and it wasn't really pretty. That's a winnable game. I mean, just talent-wise, matchup-wise, being in Tallahassee instead of on the road, that's, you feel good about that. And then you finish that with game five against Syracuse. And Syracuse, you know, this is a year where, look, I really like Dino Babers, but Syracuse has been going the wrong direction for a few years. And talent-wise, they that that should be a, a game that should not be close, honestly. Even with Florida State not being a juggernaut, that's a game you expect to win. So you have two games that you absolutely expect to win. You got two games that you feel like you've got probably a coin flipper around their shot, maybe better if you're playing well, just in terms of talent, in terms of overall matchups. And then you got Notre Dame in the opener. And that's a game where, you know, let's say you got a one in four shot of winning that game. You you feel pretty good about that opening five. And then it's away at North Carolina. And that North Carolina team is going to be really good next year. So, yes, you beat North Carolina at home. They're going <laughs> to that means you're going to have their full attention with the, you going to their house in a year where they're even more improved. But that's going to be Sam Howell as a junior, likely as last year in Chapel Hill. They return their whole offensive line. That's that's going to be a really good football team. Now, they do not have 
those two NFL running backs. They gotta, they're they're going to rely on, on a transfer from Tennessee, who's a good player, really good player, but he's not, he's not the two NFL guys that they had this year. Going to be really good at wide receiver, really good at the, on the offensive line. Got Howell, pretty good at the running back position, but not what they had last year. And then defensively, they're going to be a lot better than they were this year, this last year. So that's a team, that's a game you probably lose. But again, when you look at that matchup, that's not a guaranteed loss. Just because, again, Florida, Florida State has talent on the roster. They do have some players that can play. And they can match up. One of the things that North Carolina has relied on is being able to beat teams with one, in one-on-one matchups at the wide receiver position. And that was a factor this last year. Because they were not able to do that with the, at the same level of regularity that they are against teams that don't have the athletes that Florida State can put in the secondary, that, that changed some things for them. And, and up, uh, up front as well. Just the matchups in terms of the athletes that Florida State has... And that changes things a little bit. That gives Florida State at least a good shot in that game. And North Carolina, honestly, is going to be very young still on defense. They're going to be a lot better, but they're still going to be young. They're really, they're really a year away from being really good on defense and two years away from being, you know, Florida State Clemson type, potentially good, given the way that they've recruited defensively. They're going to be really, really good for a while. I mean, Mac Brown is building a, a, a juggernaut there in Chapel Hill, they're going to be the team to beat along with Miami in the coastal for the foreseeable future, given the way that they're recruiting on, on defense and given what they've got lined up at quarterback. So they're going to be, they're going to be good for a long time, but that's not a guaranteed loss. I'd still say probably, probably a loss. I mean, you factor on that being North Carolina favored by seven or more, but still, if you can come out of that first five games, four and one, Maybe three and two if you know you drop a game in there, but four and one, and then you drop to North Carolina. You come out four and two through the first six games. You feel pretty good about that. You've shown you've shown some progress, and you're starting to develop confidence. If you can come out of there five and one, well, look out! That now all of a sudden you have to win one game, and you're in a bowl. One game. And you've shown the progress that recruits are starting to want to look at all of that stuff. So the schedule gives you a chance to build some momentum early on because you've got Jacksonville state, wake forest, Louisville, Syracuse in that, in that one month stretch, those four back-to-back games from September 11th to October the 2nd. And you got, you know, that's sandwiched between two games where, you're playing teams that you should probably lose to, but you got a fighting chance against in Notre Dame and North Carolina. So you got to feel pretty good about the way that that schedule shakes out for Florida State. And then you follow that with the bye and then UMass. So, yeah, you might like that bye to be, you know, before, you know, maybe NC State or Miami instead of UMass, so that you can use it for that prep. But you can do some stuff during the bye to prep for some stuff down the line, sure. And, you know, maybe you don't prep as much for UMass di- uh, directly. <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's going to be one of the worst football teams in the FBS next year, as they have been the last few years. Gives Florida State a chance to uh, annihilate the fighting Walt Bells. But, you know... That that still gives you a shot. Now now you come through. Let's say you went five and one through those first six, 
You win that one, and now you're six and one and really feeling good. And then you play Clemson at Clemson. You're going to lose that game. Then you get North Carolina State at home. NC State will be pretty good next year as long as they've got uh, Devin Leary at quarterback again. Not a not a game that you count as an automatic win. Uh, as an automatic win, that's you know, I think they're going to be better than Louisville. So a little bit better. Factor that as a maybe a little bit more likely loss than win, but still a game you can win. Then you got Miami at home. Then at Boston College, late November, yikes, that's going to be cold. But that's, again, a game you can win. And then you're at Florida. So you factor that probably as a loss. So you look at that last set and you go, okay, Clemson's a loss. You get home North NC State, home Miami, and then BC away, Florida away. So you're going to lose, lose at Clemson, likely lose at Florida. So two losses there. And then those three games in between... NC State, Miami, and BC. Can you win two of those? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe you win one of them. If you win one of them, you wind up six and six and six or seven and five based on the first half of the year. If you win two of them, you're seven and five or eight and four. And at that point, you're you've actually shown, like, look, we're on our way, we're building back. And if you win all three of them, well, geez, I mean, then, 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 you know, you've got a, a coaching staff that can do it at Florida state for sure. Like at that point, you're, you, you start making sure you're retaining guys on, on, on the staff. So that's all, that's all to me, very positive. When I look at the, at the schedule for next year and that it gives you a chance to build momentum, to build some confidence in a, in a, in a, a team that has in a program that has lacked a lot of that the last few years. And to start seeing the rewards of doing things the right way. And then from there, you, you know, you're going to get pants by Clemson, but then you got a shot against NC state, Miami and BC, especially with, with a confident team. Yeah. Maybe you get, you know, a little bit of a confidence check against Clemson, but if you've built that confidence in the first half of the year and you've stayed reasonably healthy, NC State, Miami, and BC, you're you're more confident going into those games late in the year than you would be. I wouldn't want to play Miami, say, game five, game four. Now, granted, their quarterback situation may be such that, you know, they they may be a little weaker there early in the year. But I will say this. I mean, depending on what happens at the quarterback position, that Miami game is very winnable. So... There's a lot of possibilities here for this, for this schedule. It's a tough schedule. I felt early, you know, when I first just looked at the, at the shuffle of, uh, of teams felt like, you know, six and six might be a good outcome and it still might be depending, you know, to show progress. But given how all this sort of breaks out in terms of who plays whom, where, I, you know, I feel like you know, suddenly seven and five seems like a, a good number. You know, it's feel like it's almost like a win different based on where they put some of these games because of the way that, you know, confidence gets developed and where you're playing some teams that have some weaknesses and, you know, where you're playing teams that are reloading and so on. feel like maybe, you know, seven and five might be the, the number right now, which is not terrible. And you go seven and five and you're probably getting... The, the kind of recruiting class that you need to, 
in that 2022 group. And that's what we're going to talk about next. But before that, I want to thank the sponsors of the next segment, which is Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, the best in the business out in Jacksonville. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast and Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can find her at shenrealestate.com. If you have any needs for real estate uh, purchases or selling anything in the research triangle, talk to Shen. She's the best in the business up here. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. So when we uh, when we look then at, at the 2023 class, well, you know, the first thing to talk about is that Florida State's had a couple of uh, commitments since I last recorded. You got to be pretty pleased by what they've managed to land. So they already had Travis Hunter, the corner from Swanee, Georgia, who might be the best player in the country. He might be the best prospect in the country. Now, he plays corner, so, you know, you might default to a couple of other a couple of other spots. But that's a guy that when you when you watch him play, you go, yep, that that's a you hate to say can't miss, but that's as close as what a can't can't miss guy looks like. <laughs> so if he's not the top player in the country, I want to see the other guy. And, you know, I know that Ewers, the uh, the the quarterback from South Lake Carroll is right now the number one player in the uh, 24-7 composite. But I'm telling you, I. I don't think he's that good. I don't think he's the number one player in the country. I think Travis Hunter is a better corner than Ewers is a quarterback. I'll just say that in terms of prospects. Maybe the Nolan kid. I haven't really watched him yet. Uh, the the kid from from Tennessee, the defensive tackle. Maybe he. Maybe he's that guy. I don't think the Monty Jackson, the uh, modern day corner who's ranked right with Hunter, is is a better corner. So you're looking at maybe. You know, certainly a top five prospect in the country that committed to you right away and is a Derwin James type commitment and also a Derwin James type impact player. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's plug and play. And then you got Quincy McAdoo, who the uh, the the wide receiver from Arkansas, big kid, six three, one about one eighty already, uh, and fits everything they want for that nine position in terms of a vertical threat who can go up and get the football talked about him a little bit before and to that. And also the, the first guy that actually that, that jumped in uh, along with Hunter was uh, uh, and I think you say it Nigelic, but uh, Nigelic Kelly kid from Fort Lauderdale Dillard. And he's ranked a three star at six, four, two thirty five. And I can tell you this, I've talked to some folks from the, who do Florida stuff. And I trust them more than I trust the, the services. And they're like, yeah, this guy's a high, a high four star easily. He's it's criminal that he's a, a three star, not even close. And then you pop in the tape and you go, Oh yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. So he's going to be, he's going to be very, very highly ranked and he fits what they need at the edge. And then they just added Aaron Hester, who's one of the best will you know, weak side defensive end prospects. So more of a pass rush prospect, long, explosive guy. He's going to be about 240 probably when, when uh, he's already about 220. He's going to play at about 240, 245, kind of a, a burns, but without quite as much length type prospect, but can play with his hand off the ground, can play with his hand on the ground, uh, can drop in coverage a little bit, exactly what they need on the edge. And they're not done at the at the defensive end, at the edge spot in the, in this class. They're going to be able to go after 
some guys that they should be able to get. I mean, we've talked about that already, that there are layups in this class. I mean, there are guys that are alley-oops. You just don't drop the ball once you go up in the air and you just, all you have to do is catch it and dunk it. And if they can have, if they can go seven and five and they can land your Julian Armella or, you know, they should get Marvin Jones Jr., you get Marvin Jones Jr. and you add him to the to the edge guys that they've already got, and all of a sudden you've got one of the best edge classes in the country. Pass rush goes from a serious weakness to suddenly you've got two classes in a row of guys that can actually get after the passer with some length, some quickness off the edge. You can start to platoon those guys, and you can suddenly be good at those spots. So that's a that's a plus. And then the latest news is Nico Marchial. I think that's how you say his name. Another Arizona quarterback from Chandler, Arizona. Committed to Florida State as the uh, as the first quarterback commitment of the 2022 class. And I say the first quarterback commitment because they need to take two in this class. And I'm confident that they're planning on taking two in this class. I'll just say I'm very confident that they're pl- that they're going to try to take two. I'll be su- I'll be shocked if they don't take two quarterbacks in this class. And you look at Marcial's, uh at his film, at what what's up there and what's available, you say, you know, that's a good, a good prospect. Now, honestly, I look at his tape and I say, this is a good, a solid prospect who could be a starter at Florida State and be successful. He could be. But to me, he's a floor guy. He's a guy that that if he's your starter and you've got good talent around him. He could, he could look pretty good and by year three or four, be the guy and be a quality player who can, who can help win games for you. The other thing that he allows you to do, as long as he's solid, is he allows you to shoot for the stars with the next guy. And the thing is, they've got the guy that I think might be the best quarterback prospect in the country who just moved from California to go to IMG. And that's A.J. Duffy. You can look, I've watched them both and I've not watched, you know, a ton. I haven't watched full games, you know, full seasons of these guys, but watching Quinn Ewers, who's ranked number one in the country overall in the 2022 24 seven composite, that guy's ranked number one. And I watch him. Well, yeah, you know, looks like a good prospect. I can I can see him being a, a highly re- ranked prospect. I'm surprised he's the number one player in the in the class right now. I don't think that'll last. And then I watch Duffy and I go, I think Duffy's better than him as a prospect. Now Ewers might be a better high school quarterback right now. I, that's probable actually, given where he at, where he's at. I mean that South Lake Carroll program is a monster, and so he's gonna, you know, they, he's gonna have been trained in what they're doing from the feeder program up. He's he's gonna be putting up filthy numbers there, all that stuff. But when I look at the tools and I'm, I'm progress, I'm projecting as, as, and I'm trying to think about what this guy is going to look like two years from now. So after early enrolling and you know, what, what's this guy going to look like when he steps on campus in 2022 and then second year on campus in 2023, that's what I'm most interested in. What are those guys going to look like? What do they bring to the table? And honestly, I think Duffy's got more talent. Now, I still want to do a fuller evaluation. That's just looking at the physical tools and some other stuff. I want to do a fuller evaluation on both. I mean, my my, this is early in the process. 
But I'll just say this. You land Duffy, and, and I've said this already on this podcast, you land, you land a guy like A.J. Duffy, and suddenly, you know, I, I think that guy's a threat to start as a potential. He might start day one. If he early enrolls, he's going to compete for that starting job day one. And he's going to be competing for the job, potentially winning the job year one, year two, year three. You know, he's going to be one of those guys that is going to have a chance to, to have an early impact. It just depends on how he's going to, you know, how well he picks up the offense and, and uh, you know, also depends a little bit on the development of some of the guys in front of him and all that. But he's going to be hard to keep off the field. And what this allows you to do, you land a Martial and all of a sudden this allows you to shoot for the stars with some confidence going after a guy like Duffy and really pushing to get a guy that you think can change your program year one. And then if he does that, that's the thing. I mean, let's say he does start year one, year two. Well, you're going to have a couple guys probably transfer at that point. You're still going to need a guy. What happens if he goes down? Or what happens if he leaves after three years? The, the guy that's there in year four suddenly becomes the starter if he sticks there. Most quarterbacks these days are on the three and done plan in terms of uh, the three and graduate, which is what I would tell my son to do. Graduate in three years and give yourself some options. But then if you graduate in three years and you've got a quarterback that's leaving after his third year and you might have a chance to be the starter the next year, then you're, you're that guy. That's why you, you, you don't shy away from competition. You got chances to, to transfer and you know go somewhere else if it doesn't work out. And with the three and done situation, you might have two, two opportunities to do that. You go once on the free transfer and then the second time is a grad transfer and you, you got some options. So, you know, quarterbacks should be able to take some chances to compete. But I really, I cannot emphasize how much, how much I really like Duffy. Now, that's not to take anything away from Martial. I think he's a good player. He's thick, runs well. Uh, he does a lot of the little things that Mike Norvell looks for in a quarterback. Throws well on those little glance routes. Uh, seems to have a good sense for leading his 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 receivers, and you know that's something that's hard to teach. You there, there's something innate. There's it's intuition where you're throwing when you're throwing to where guys aren't, and he seems to do a pretty good job of that for the high school for the high school level. Shows some intuition to be able to do some of that. Gets the ball out quickly. Shows a pretty pretty quick release. He's a lefty, so you, know, you kind of have to, if you want to evaluate fairly, one of, the, one of the ways to do that is to download the video and then you flip it. I've done that for lefties in the past so that you're not, your eyes aren't playing tricks with you. You're getting to see him the way that it looks to you normally. And I think that's a, a good way to evaluate lefties if you're, if you're doing it. But, um, but to me, he, you know, release and everything looks solid. Doesn't have a howitzer for an arm, but throws it well enough, strong enough arm to play and be a you know future potential NFL prospect. You know, develop a little bit. He's not a day one guy in my opinion, but develop a little bit and you know get a little bit get a little bit stronger. All of those other things, and you know he he could work his way onto the radar. So whenever you're adding a guy that is you know it's NFL is not out of the question, you feel pretty good. And if that's your floor recruit at the quarterback position, you feel great. And I think that's where they are. Now, there are a couple other guys on their board in terms of the uh, quarterback position that they're they're still keeping in touch with and still recruiting pretty hard. But I mean, I think, again, if, if, if Duffy wants in, he's the guy you take, period. Okay, so that's that. 
Two other guys, though, MJ Morris from uh, Atlanta, more of a, a dual threat guy, guy that moves, moves a little bit better than anybody, uh, anybody else that they're looking at. He's, he's a guy that they're, that they're looking at. And then the guy that's really interesting to me is Taven Jackson, the, uh, the, the kid from actually a school that I know fairly well, Greenwood, uh, Greenwood Center Grove up in, Indi- uh, up near Indianapolis. They, um, they, they actually played down in, in Bloomington a good bit back when I, I lived there. So pretty familiar with, uh, with that, that, uh, that region, that area. That's a really good high school. They've always been well coached, you know, going back a couple decades. But I look at uh, Taven Jackson, and I actually like him better than Morris, and I might like his his potential better than Martial. So he's a guy that is really, really intriguing because I mean, I I could see him becoming the guy that you know starts out the process as a three star and then winds up a top five draft pick. <laughs> you talk about the tools; the tools are there. The tools are absolutely there. He's a little skinny at this point. And, you know, football is not, was not his first sport. He was a basketball guy. And I love basketball players, basketball and baseball players that play quarterback. I, I tend to prefer because it's the hand skills that you learn in terms of shooting, throwing a baseball, those things, learning how to manipulate things with your hands that allows you to develop the hand strength and the, uh, the hand, uh, the hand talent to be able to control the football at different, uh, velocities, different angles, uh, throw with touch, those sorts of things. Uh, so I'm, I'm big on, if you can get a guy that is a good basketball player, a good baseball player, that usually bodes well, uh, especially if he's, if he's pitched uh, in baseball. But that usually bodes well for a guy that can, can throw the football a little better. So Jackson, though, you see that he's just got just a beautiful release, just a really natural thrower, good athlete. And he's a guy that I... You know, if you can't land Duffy, the guy I would want is Taven Jackson because he's a guy that might not, he's not a year one guy, but by year three, year four, you're talking about a guy that could be a high NFL draft choice just by, just by the tools he brings to the table. So really interesting uh, prospect that would be number two on my board to Duffy, just because I think Duffy's a, uh, a more polished prospect and again, brings a lot to the table. So that that all is really positive, right? You look at that and then you say, okay, what is what does the potential future look like for this class? And you say, okay, well, you can add to Martial, maybe that one other quarterback, maybe Duffy. If if you get Duffy, then you've got the best quarterback room in of anybody in this class. You, you probably got the, the top uh, quarterback recruiting class in the country. Land a couple of uh, offensive linemen. You've got one, uh, you know, probably a guard. Armella, you know, he looked like he might be a, a, an offensive tackle initially, but you know, more people are talking about, uh, you know, guard at this point for him. But you've got one that is a layup or an alley-oop if you, if you uh, show some improvement on the field that immediately makes you better there. You get, uh, you add to Kelly, you add Marvin Jones on the edge. And you've got, you know, one of the better, edge classes in the country you got hester as another guy maybe add you know depends on if you go for three or four edges so then the real question and you got hunter it's it's at corner the real question is can you land an impact defensive tackle and if you can land an impact impact defensive tackle and build around that for the rest of the class you're looking at a top five potential area for recruiting class and now you're starting, that's a foundational class to be able to compete for ACC crowns again. 
That's that's the way it works. Now, that's going to require making progress on the field. But all that to- all that said, I mean that that schedule gives you a chance with the guys you bring in and you brought in in the transfer portal, with the way the schedule shapes up, and you start looking at having a, a, a quality blue chip type quarterback coming across the country. You've got all the pieces in place and the momentum developing to have exactly the kind of class you need to stem, staunch the bleeding and start the program moving in the right direction. And, you know, two years from now, you are right at the very top of the conference competing to uh, competing for a conference crown and competing to try to go to the playoff. That's how quickly things can turn. You got to get the quarterback position taken care of. And to me, the next thing that real, the thing that you really have to worry about coming into this class, you got to get it. You got to get some offensive tackles and you got to get a defensive tackle. Got to get a, a, at least one war daddy type defensive tackle in this class. That's the other thing that I think you, they really need to get. But if they're able to do that, now, you, now you're starting to feel pretty good about where Florida State is moving forward. Make a little progress based on what, you, what you're seeing in 2021, and then make a pretty big step forward with the new talent in 2022. And in 2023, they're ready to play, and now you're starting to compete. Right back to where you're, 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 you're competing at the level that you want to compete at. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap there. We'll talk about the 2021 recruiting class once the late signing day is over. We'll talk about all of them. I've been working through some scouting reports and uh, and all of that for all of those guys. We'll go through the whole class. Probably two podcasts. Uh, t- probably take two podcasts to do that, and uh, and then we'll work into the off season stuff. Starting to look at some uh, some other things and ear to the ground about how things are going in terms of. Uh, off-season prep and all that. I know some stuff got held up because of some contact tracing stuff, which is, you know, the off-season stuff. The sooner we can get vaccines and everything going so that not, that is a non-issue moving forward, the better. But this is going to be a critical off-season. They've got to get the, the culture changed and they've got to get uh, these guys used to playing in the in, in the same system, ready to ready to do what they're, what they're going to do. But we'll be back to talk recruiting after late signing day. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, host us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. As well as Jonathan Kennedy and Tyler Kashishki. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.